Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the I Go Back edition, as I take an in-depth look back at the highs and lows of the 2023 season with my buddy Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com. But first, I'll talk to a player who finished a disappointing year on a very positive note, Joseph Osai. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Bengals fans helping Ted Karras help others. From December 5th to January 8th, Nationwide Insurance held a contest called the Charity Challenge where people could vote for one of the 32 nominees for this year's Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. There's one nominee from each team. The winner of that fan vote receives a $35,000 donation that goes directly to the player's charity of choice. Thanks to Houday Nation, this year's winner was Ted Karras, meaning the donation goes to the Village of Marici, a supportive community for adults living with disabilities. Now we'll see if Ted wins the actual Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, which will be announced on the Thursday of Super Bowl week. The winner of that receives a $250,000 donation to the charity of his choice. So, good luck to Ted. Now, let's get to this week's guests. In the Bengals' season-ending win over Cleveland, one of their highest-graded players was Joseph Osai, who had a couple of quarterback hits, including one where he made contact with Jeff Driscoll's arm, leading to an easy interception for Logan Wilson. Osai played 26 snaps in the game, his second-highest total of the season, in a year where he was only on the field for 16% of the Bengals' defensive plays. Prior to the Cleveland game, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo was asked if he wished that Osai was further along in his development. I think he would answer the question just like I'm going to, and I don't want to speak for him, but yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's it's all of us, but yeah, I think Joe would want to have a bigger role, a bigger impact, and all of that stuff, so um, I'm just hoping for him. He can come into the offseason without an injury, and he can train and you know, and we can see a better Joseph Osai going forward. Um, his want to, his effort has been tremendous. Um, it's just a matter of going out there and doing it. Joseph missed his entire rookie year due to injury, then flashed at times last year, leading to the hope that he would be a valuable pass rusher this season. But after having shoulder surgery in the offseason, he hurt his ankle in the final preseason game and finished the year with just one sack. I talked to him about it this week. I thought you finished the season on a really positive note. How did you feel about the finale? I felt I felt great. Um, it just felt great to be finally able to impact the game in a positive way. So, um, yeah, looking forward to, to being healthy, staying healthy, and um, everything is a lesson and it's all for a purpose, and I got to go back to work, that's all. Coach Anaroma was raving about your work ethic. 
how hard you're trying to be what I think we all know you're capable of being. Um, I don't know if you heard those comments or saw those comments, but clearly the fact that you didn't have a big season this year was not a matter of of effort. Yeah, um, I didn't see those comments, and I appreciate him for those comments. You know, he's a he's a great coach, a great guy. But yeah, you know, that's unfortunately that's ball. You gotta you gotta get on the field to able to do anything in the first place. And but you know, everybody's story is different. Now that everybody comes on the scene and is the guy they want to be at first. But you hear stories about guys who work in the shadows till year six, year seven, and then they become the stars they want to be. They're able to impact games um, and be, be a dominant force. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's always work. You know, so I've, that's all of, I, I don't know any difference. So it's always going to be work and we'll hope for the best, God willing. What do you think your off season looks like? Oh, it's, I've been spoiled. I've been spoiled with the, my, my rookie year, went to the Super Bowl. Last year, we went to the AFC Championship, so now I, I don't even know what to do. I don't know <laughs> how I should schedule my time or how long I should take off or what do I should do during this time right now because we're usually in the playoffs. But um, I'm going to spend a lot of time with the fam. Um, that's what's important to me right now, so spend time with the fam, stay in shape, work out, and, you know, my first off season without having to have a surgery. So that's also a blessing. We thank God for that and just go from there. Trey had a monster season monster. at your position. Did you learn anything from watching him have 17 and a half sacks? Absolutely. Taking what he had and and using it at practice, not just trying to bring it out in, in, during game days, but like I said, the process, he's, his process is so unique and his mentality also, his confidence in himself, and um, in a way it helped me bring me, it helped bring me closer to God too, because he's such a huge believer in God, and um, um, he's a great guy, so yeah, it was it was great to, I, this is my understudy year, so to speak, working under him, and learning from him, and, and um, getting to observe him, just be a master at what he does and if you don't think he's a master at what he does you're 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 mistaken for sure he's unstoppable completely unstoppable he's so maniacally focused almost any time i came in here in the off season he was here yeah and it, it's just his one track mind to be great at what he does really is striking if you're from the outside looking in you can you would call it crazy you would call it you would you would you would say a lot of things about it, but he he is dedicated to his craft, and he's dedicated to his God, and those two things, when you put them together, you get greatness. I'm I can bet on it right now. He's gonna be one of the greats, and I can't wait to see it happen. Um, he was such a huge mentor to me this year, um, because there's confidence in myself still, even though I haven't gotten a chance to prove it. There's confidence in myself still that I also will be great. He, he was a huge, 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 huge help for me this year. He doesn't even know it. But, um, yeah, so there's confidence in myself that I'm going to be great and I just have to get the opportunity and not take not take lightly the opportunity at all. Whatever, However it comes, whatever it looks like, never take it, never take it for granted, never take it lightly, and then go dominate. For what it's worth, Trey Hendrickson had a total of six and a half sacks in his first three seasons then broke out in year four with 13 and a half. And that's roughly what Trey has averaged over the last four seasons. Here's hoping that Joseph Osai also has a breakout season in year four. 
The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Now, time for a comprehensive look back at the 2023 season. It was a winning year at 9-8, and eight, but one that fell short of the Bengals' Super Bowl aspirations. I discussed it with Bengals.com editor Jeff Butch Hobson. It is the second week of January, and for the first time in three years, we are not looking ahead to a playoff game, unfortunately. Instead, I'm with Jeff Hobson, and we are looking back at a 9-8 and eight season. We are going to tackle several topics on this podcast, some serious, some just for fun. We begin with this. Sum up the season in a sentence. It was really good until July 28th. And that's when uh, then duct and then an ellipsis there, <laughs> and then I get it. Uh, which was too bad because as you know, July twenty eighth, and I think that's the right date was the uh, second practice was the second practice of training camp, and Joe uh, Burrow uh, had a strained calf, and I think that's just this is this is the year of the strained calf. It's the year of the torn ligament in the wrist. I mean, that's just no two ways about it, and uh, you know, and I. From that afternoon on, uh, from training camp, it's, it was kind of a cloud over the season. And uh, what if? So that first practice was awesome, unbelievable. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a fifteen and two practice. <laughs> All right, are you ready for my sentence? Yes, please. We interrupt this program. That's my sentence for the season, because when anybody asks me about the Bengals' chances prior to the season, my answer was always, I think they're going to the Super Bowl if Joe Burrow stays healthy, and unfortunately he did not. But to me, it's an interruption. It's not an ending. We saw the five-game stretch where they were great. They were 4-1. and one. They could have easily been 5-0 and oh if Tyler Boyd didn't drop that pass late in the Houston game. They beat San Francisco by 14. They beat Buffalo by 6 and led by 14 late in that game. And when Joe threw his final pass of the year, they had the lead in the second quarter at Baltimore. So, to me, we interrupt this program. The Bengals, as we think of them, hopefully, will be back in 2024. Yeah, that was uh, – unfortunately, it was a big interruption. It, 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 I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't Walter Cronkite coming in on uh, As the World Turns. But it was, uh, you know, it was, I mean, that's who they are. I, I believe that that's who they are. They're that 4-1 and one team. Now, does that mean they're going to go 15-2 and two or 14-3? and three? I mean, well, 14-3, and 13-4, that's the kind of team they were, they were uh, kind of evolving to, I think. And, and, you know, granted, a lot of questions in the offseason and, and who comes back and who doesn't. But the DNA is still there, and that's, uh, you know, the big thing, of course, is Burrow if, he, if he's healthy. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just a hard season to kind of wrapping around because there were the ebbs and flows. It, was, it seemed like there were, like, four different seasons. There was, you know, we haven't even talked. We haven't even mentioned the name Jake Browning, you know, who was who started the last seven games of the year. But even before Jake got in there, there was the, there was the strained calf. There was the struggles uh, in September. Then there was that great run, and then he got hurt, and it was like there was like four or five different seasons. It felt like you know, you were covering four 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 different seasons. It was uh, hopefully we won't have another year like it because we've had about five in about <laughs> eleven months. 
I suspect we will get to the name Jake Browning in our second topic, which is what was the silver lining in a disappointing year? I mean, that's it. I mean, that is, look, at if we were having a beer on July 4th and I laid out all the things and they're going to be uh, six Harrison Butker field goals away from going to the playoffs, well, you would have thought I'd had one too many. You know, so to me, that is the silver lining. They survived with a backup quarterback all the way to the end, which shows you the roster. And they, uh, there were people talking, and now it seems so long ago, but going into that, this training camp, there were people talking, you know, this may be the best roster, you know, we've had in this, in this century, certainly in the last 15 years, maybe. And I think they were proven correct mm-hmm. because they went 9-8 and eight without, you know, and you forget you, had, you didn't have T. Higgins for four games and, uh, you know, uh, didn't have the big man for seven. And look at how close you look at how close you came. That's coaching, and that's and that's roster, and that's 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 a silver line. That's two silver linings. Totally agree. Jake Browning is the silver lining. We have eliminated a very important question, and that is who is the backup quarterback? We didn't know it going into the year. Is it Browning? Is it Trevor Simeon? Do they have to go get somebody else? They did. Will Greer. I mean, we still didn't know really uh, until Joe Burrow went down. Now we do. Jake Browning had a passer rating of 98.4. That is tied for fifth best in franchise history in a single season. That was Kenny Anderson's passer rating in his MVP season. He was great. So were Zach, Brian, Dan Pitcher during the time that Joe was out as they suited the offense to his strengths. And now we'll see if some of those elements will be incorporated more next year. Uh, Zach says we were starting to do those things anyway, and we would have if, you know, if uh, Joe didn't hurt his calf in training camp. Well, we'll see. Um, But I would like to think that there will be more under center run, more screen game, things that make it more offensive line friendly. I think not only was the offense Jake Browning friendly, I think it was offensive line friendly, which would be good for that group. You know, again, I guess the question is, you know, how much do you want to expose Burrow on those naked bootlegs? Because Jake was so good at those. But I would think <clears throat> Burrow would be outstanding at those. I mean, I guess as long as you knew he's, he wasn't going to take a shot, mm-hmm. how do you how do you know? But, I mean, um, you know, Zach talked about balance. I think that's probably the one thing about this offseason. And I know you asked this about him at the pre- uh, to him at the press conference about, uh, you know, regimen now that they're a month you know, these last two years, they went into, you know, into basically February. In one year, they went into mid-February. Now that changes, and now that actually is probably a positive because, you know, they'll be able to rest. And so balance, it's balance. It's 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 getting your players to the gate, but they, getting them ready for the opener. It's balance. Run, pass, you know, under center, shotgun. And that's that's something that they talked about. I think that that's, that's something I think they'll they'll strive to. That's going to be the off-season theme, I think, is balance. What was the biggest disappointment? I, to me, it had to be the defense. I thought, you know, they were so good down the stretch last year in uh, 2022 in that 10-game winning streak. I mean, they were the they were the spine of that. Of that. I mean, as good as Joe was, the defense was the spine of that uh, run. And, uh, you know, when they turned this thing around from 2020 to 2021, they did it with the run game. They were, they were what you have to do in the AFC North, and they were so good against the run, and they were not good against the run. I guess that was that was the disappointing thing. And uh, I know you're going to ask me about the biggest mystery. You can probably it's probably the same thing, is because they were so good last year, and they basically 
had the same same people except it's safety and uh, I guess we have to take a look at the safety position it's maybe a little bit more uh, important than perhaps people thought but uh, you know I I, uh, I would expect that they'll that's another silver lining I can't imagine them having another season like this again once Lou gets into the laboratory mm-hmm. and uh, straightens it out my biggest disappointment is one in five in the AFC North, and the only win was against the Cleveland team, basically resting everybody. Now, in fairness, the Bengals did not have a healthy Joe Burrow for any of those games, at least for four quarters. He was healthy for about a quarter and a third at Baltimore, but that was it, and that's a huge factor. But uh, Joe did not play defense, and this team was especially bad on defense in those AFC North games. 34 points allowed at Baltimore, 34 allowed at Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. They made Kenny Pickett to Pat Fryermuth look like Mahomes to Kelsey, and the rushing yards allowed in those AFC North games. Scary. 206 against Cleveland, 178 in Week 2 against Baltimore, 153 at home against the Steelers. If you cannot stop the run in this division against Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland, you are doomed. Remember the last game here in 2020 when I think Baltimore rushed for maybe 400 yards, and uh, but they didn't have, you know, they had a skeleton crew there. DJ Reader was out, and they were playing with guys that they had just picked up during mm-hmm. the year. So it was a different deal. But I think it's the same sentiment going into the uh, going into the off season that that's got to get fixed. And uh, it would seem to me, you know, like I said, it's the same guys that were the spine of that uh, playoff run in 2022. And you know, I think the hope is the safeties, Dax Hill, Jordan Battle, two first year guys, basically two first year starters, that they're going to be better in year two. I think that's the you know certainly Dax has all the athleticism that you could want. He's a first-round pick. He's a legitimate first-round pick. Jordan Battle, I think, is everything they thought he was. I, when they, you know, Darren Simmons, when they interviewed him in the 18 minutes in Indy, he starred his name because he was so good. And he was great after the game about his interception, his first interception in the, in the finale here Sunday. He broke it down and everything. Is he Von Bell? You know, do we have, I, I, I think, they've got, you got guys, Dax Hill, I think, is going through what Jesse Bates did. I think Battle could, you know, Battle could be Von Bell-like. Maybe not, maybe maybe uh, doesn't have, you know, quite the blue-chip talent of a Bell, but I think he certainly is a locker room guy in knowledge. He's certainly headed there. It's just in the NFL, they don't wait around for these guys. You know what I mean? They don't wait around. you got to do it now. And I think, you know, they. I guess they paid, you know, they paid a little bit of a price, but I think – What's the alternative in this day and age when you've signed Joe Burrow to a big contract? You can't go out and get a pay Jesse Bates and Von Bell. You just you just can't you can't do it. You know you gotta you're gonna you gotta rely on these young guys to come along. And I think they're two good young guys. You just gotta hope that they that they're gonna uh, they're gonna take that leap. You teased our next topic. What was the biggest mystery in 2023? I, probably the. Probably the defense, I guess. Probably, I mean, because stopping the run specifically. That and I think the big plays because they never mm. with with Lou, you know, Lou was always good about that. You know, we got to stop the explosives. You know, and I think that's the thing that probably upset me. Maybe even more than not being able to stop the run. I think if you talk to Lou, mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that really upset him was those explosives. And I know Nick Scott talked about this. Uh, uh, he talked about the explosives uh, after the season, and he, you know, the, what stuck with him was was 
the Houston game, and that really might have been the turning point in a way. The turning point was obviously when Burrow got hurt, but the fact the offense played terrific, you know, and the offense and the defense just didn't, you know, just couldn't didn't have that one stop and kept and gave up eight plays of twenty yards. That was the, that was really the, the stunning thing how they just kept getting the ball thrown over them. You know, I mean, uh, that was uh, and I and I know Lou's going to get that fixed. And I think I do think you can probably chalk that up to some of the inexperience back there because not only Dax and Jordan, but you had a rookie corner in DJ Turner who had to play a lot, which I think is kind of a silver lining too. I know DJ had his uh, had his ups and downs, but uh, he got a lot of snaps in, and I think he showed that he's going to be a very good NFL corner. And, uh, you know, with the Wouzier being a free agent, you know, I think he's, you know, they need him to come on. And the fact that he played so many snaps, I think that's a silver lining too. But, you know, he was living and learning too back there. So, uh, yeah, I just, um, you know, I, right, right, right down to the end against uh, Kansas City with those, you know, because if you remember when they were uh, in the two games they won out, uh, well, in the, in, in the games they've beaten Kansas City, they stayed away from that when they mm-hmm. had those great – you know those, you know, with, with Hill and Kelsey and everything, they 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 would shut that down. It didn't happen this 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 last uh, time out in Kansas City. And if it did, it might be in the playoffs if they didn't. If they're they're about two or three big plays away from being in the playoffs. That was definitely a mystery. I'll give you another one. Why can't the Bengals run for a yard on third and one, and fourth and one? If you had to guess what the typical team does when they run on third and one or fourth and one. I don't have a league-wide average, but I can give you the numbers in the AFC North. Baltimore on third and one, successful 76% of the time. Fourth and one, 83% of the time. Now, these are just runs. Pittsburgh, third and and one, 73% of the time. Fourth down, 88% of the time. The Browns, third down and one, 71% of the time. Fourth and one, eighty-one percent of the time. Here are the Bengals' numbers on third and one and fourth and one this year. Third and one when they ran, successful fifty-nine percent of the time. When they ran on fourth and one, sixty percent of the time. So fifteen percent lower than their yeah. division rivals on third and one. Twenty to thirty percent lower than their division rivals on fourth and one. Why was that the case? Well, there are probably a lot of reasons, but I'll say this. The coaches are much smarter than I am about this stuff. But how about a fullback? How about taking Sam Hubbard like you used to and lining him up at fullback or Domitofeco back in the day? Could we try something like that on third and one or fourth and one? I guess, you know, you can't criticize Zach then for not running in on third and one and fourth and one because <laughs> the, num- the numbers are because w- the numbers are with them I guess so uh, and uh and to Zach's I'll tell you what though and I and th- those are interesting numbers in the AFC North I think that is more I think that speaks more to the talent in the AFC North because I look at these other games and I, of course it's just a guy watching TV I, I I you know but a lot of teams have trouble <laughs> trouble it seems like on the short yardage stuff and it's amazing because it's 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 only a yard but it's uh you know, I saw uh, there have been um, Pittsburgh almost lost the game or almost had a chance of losing the game because they couldn't convert because they looked like they were a little confused. But, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I think it comes down to, uh, does it come down, you know, I think these guys are, you hear the criticism, well, the offensive line, they're pass protectors because we're because the Bengals are a pass first team. I don't buy that. They're tough guys. They're physical mm-hmm. guys. They can move people. We've seen them move people in the running game. 
So, you know, I don't know. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's. I think it's a. That's why it's a mystery. Mystery. <laughs> Philly, by the way, on fourth and one with a brotherly shove, ninety-two yeah. percent successful. How many injuries? <laughs> Boy, that's I a good that. question. I hate that thing because it just looks like a, a football version of a, something you see on seventy-four. That is that on 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 I seventy four. It just you know it looks like a lot of rubbernecking. Yeah, just a lot of rubbernecking. You know, it just doesn't look good. But I you know, but ninety two percent is ninety two percent. It might be it might be driving Jason Kelsey into retirement though. Hmm. All right, let's move on. Your favorite moment of twenty twenty three. You know, Tyler Boyd's catch in overtime in the Vikings mm-hmm. game. That was that was unbelievable. One of the greatest catches I've ever seen in just a crunch time with the playoffs on the line. And maybe the second best catch in that game because of T. Higgins. Right? <laughs> but I think my favorite moment is when it still involves Tyler Boyd. I love Tyler Boyd because he's always got great moments, you know. And, but when Jake Browning came over, it was an off the. Is it okay mm, if it's an off the sure. field moment when everybody's around Tyler Boyd, who, you know, may have played his last game for the Bengals in a great career. And Browning, Jake Browning came over and patted him on the shoulder and made it a point to tell the press how important Tyler Boyd was to him and to the media. I don't think, I, I don't, I haven't seen that probably since the days of Willie Anderson. That was great leadership mm-hmm. by a guy. And it was absolutely the, uh, what he said was, first of all, what he said was absolutely true about Tyler. But the fact that he would do that, take the time to do it. Then he said it again and he repeated it for us in the media because some of us weren't there when it happened, and uh, but he did it. But he repeated himself, and it was a. Uh, I, I just thought it was. A, it was. A, I think, other than Joe wincing when he threw the touchdown pass that uh, against Baltimore, the the Browning Tyler Boyd moment. I think that's. I'll take that home. That was really good stuff. Uh, And I don't remember anything quite like that either for Jake Browning to interrupt a Tyler Boyd session with reporters to basically say, hey, before he continues, I want to tell you how awesome this guy is. That was really cool. It was uh, just to throw in a Willie Anderson moment when Rudy Johnson had a breakout game. And this is back in, I think, 03, maybe. And PJ was saying, Rudy Johnson to the interview room. Rudy Johnson to the interview room. And Willie Anderson said, wait a minute. And he held up a finger and said, wait a minute, listen to that. Rudy Johnson to the interview room. How about that? This is a guy that's paid his dues, and he's went in, Willie went into a thing on Rudy, which was, which was really good. My favorite moment, this one's a little bit selfish, but it was the uh, San Francisco win and the entire day for me because the night before the Bearcats played at Oklahoma State, Stillwater, Oklahoma, I was scheduled to fly the next morning from Oklahoma City, which is about an hour away, through Denver to get to San Jose for the game. There was a snowstorm in Denver. I had to change my plans at the last minute, fly through Dallas, got like two hours sleep. I was totally panicked. I was going to miss the game and get fired. (laughs) Thankfully, that second arrangement worked out. I got to San Jose, hopped in an Uber, feeling triumphant. 
And then I think the Uber driver intentionally left me like miles away because he didn't want to deal with game day traffic. Yeah. So there I am with my suitcase and my, uh, you know, my backpack miles from the stadium, <laughs> schlepping through tailgates and stuff to get there. But I got to the booth about 10 minutes before the start of the pregame show. And then it was an awesome day. The weather was spectacular. The Bengals were spectacular. Burrow completed almost 90% of his passes, passer rating over 130. Joe Mixon had 110 combined yards. Chase had 10 catches and 100 yards. It was just a tremendous day. And thankfully, I made it in time. So that was my favorite moment of the year. I didn't realize it was that, uh, that, I didn't realize it was that intense. That's a... Uh... They would never fire one of the great voices in Bengals history. But I hope I don't give them reason to. No, that was uh, – no, I think you had a good year, Horty, by the way. I think it was uh, – and I know because I listened to all the uh, – while I'm watching the game, I listen to the broadcast. It's uh, It gets harder and harder to call these games because the flags are dropping and uh, things are being replayed, and it's not it's not as easy to uh, – not as easy to call a game as it was once was with Gil Santos and uh, – the great and uh, the great uh, Vaughn, uh, your your guy in uh, uh, Buffalo. Yeah, Van Miller. Van Miller. I want to say Vaughn Miller, who's, but uh, <laughs> he's in Buffalo too. Yeah, it was a little it was a little bit easier back then, and they were great. But it's uh, it's hard now, man. All right, your low point of the season. Yeah, it had to be. Uh, I, I I think it was probably uh, might have been the Pittsburgh game here, maybe because that seems so winnable. But I think it has to go back to ball. I think it just goes back to Burrow getting hurt. I mean, you got to – and I don't know. I remember that the training camp day uh, that he got hurt. That was that was. I don't think I've ever felt that bad in July since I got a sunburn when I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that wasn't a that wasn't a that wasn't a that wasn't a great feeling either. And then the, and then the Baltimore thing, and then of course the ride home. You know the the flight home, and it's one of those late night primetime games in a row. You're a zombie, and then you realize Burrow's out. That was, uh, you know, I could have, I could have, I think we all could have done without that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be very specific. It's the same thing, but it was seeing the replay of Burrow on the sideline trying to throw a yeah. pass, just a soft toss to test his wrist, yeah. and he couldn't even do that. Yeah. You know, he's in excruciating pain because none of us realized when he threw the touchdown pass to Mixon yeah. that that was it because we were watching yeah. the ball. Joe yeah. makes the catch. He goes into the end zone. Yeah. We're all fired up. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Joe Burrow's experienced yeah. this, this pain, and we later saw that replay yeah. as well. But uh, when we saw that replay of him on the sideline trying to throw and being unable to, yeah. it brought back the word of Jim McKay in Munich, our worst fears have been realized, and not as serious circumstances, obviously. But uh, at that point, we probably all thought the season was over, and thanks to Jake Browning, it wasn't. They got to the uh, the next to last game of the regular season with a chance, thanks to him, and obviously his teammates. Four and three. He went four and three. If it was the World Series, they would have won it. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean he was. I mean he was. I, I thought he was terrific. He was. Uh, uh, you know, even in some of I, I thought he was terrific in Kansas City. I, I, I really, he was running and making plays, and uh, you know, and, and you got to remember, it's just not that he came off the bench and he came off the bench in the middle of a playoff run where they had a legitimate chance. Nobody in Bengals history's done that. When Blake came off the bench, they were owing they were owing seven. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, when Turk came off the bench, it was early in the year. You know, this guy, I, no Bengals backup quarterback has come in in the playoff run and uh, got him there. I guess you could say uh, his uh, fulsome soulmate, Virgil Carter, 
but because uh, Virgil, but because because uh, but Virgil really was, you know, he and Sam Weish were kind of early in the year were alternating, and then Virgil Virgil got the job. But uh, you know, nobody other. I mean, that's 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 the thing is is it, well, the pressure that the pressure you endured, and it's the it's the great American story. He, he, you know, he was this far away from maybe being a being an offensive assistant at Sacramento State, you know, but he get the call here, and here he is. And none of those other guys had to wait for four years to get their chance, which added to the miracle. Who was your team MVP? You know, people are going to, you know, they're going to say, you know, in my heart, I want to say Mixon because, you know, he did every, I mean, he really, he he was, uh, he he caught the ball, he ran the ball, he went for a thousand yards. He didn't, uh, you know, he uh, didn't get a hundred yard game until late. He gets criticized because he doesn't have explosive plays and, I understand that, but the guy never, you know, he never fumbles. Most of the time, he'll get you 40 yards. He'll keep you on schedule. He makes, you know, he won the uh, he won the Minnesota game. He's 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 he's, he's in the backfield, and if Ivan uh, if uh, Ivan Pace makes that tackle, yeah. season's you know that they're done, they're out, and he wills himself to stand up, you know, and get in there and score. I think he had 12 touchdowns. You know, 1,410 combined yards, rushing and yeah. receiving, and 12 touchdowns. That's the quietest 1,400-yard, 12-touchdown yeah. season in history. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you get, but then, you know, my heart says Mixon, but I also, you know, my eyes also say Chase, you know, Jamat Chase, in the guts of that, when Browning first, you know, when, when, when Joe was just getting into shape, and then when Browning came in, Chase was a beast, remember, and then he get hurt, and when he get hurt, Things kind of felt. Remember, they lost. They lost their two games, right? When he, when he, when he got hurt, and uh, Kansas City and um, Pittsburgh. He didn't play in Pittsburgh, and he was uh, he was hurting against Kansas City. And he really, uh, you know, kudos to him for mm-hmm. strapping it up and playing. But you know, if he's healthy, you wonder how, how that because he. I mean, he had he had ten. I think he had a. a, a he had he had a five one hundred yard games and one more and ties him for the you know that, that's a quiet that was a quiet five you know five one hundred yard games too so I don't know you could probably take your pick Jama or uh, Joe but I you know I think either one would be all right and we'll throw in Trey Hendrickson on yeah. the defensive end seventeen and a half sacks seventy nine pressures according to Pro Football Focus he came out as their sixth best pass rusher among edge guys this year in the NFL Miles Garrett. Micah Parsons, Nick Bosa, T.J. Watt, Aiden Hutchinson, and then Trey Hendrickson, which is great company. And I'm not in the building all that often in the offseason, especially these months, you know, when they're not – well, I have been the last couple of years, thankfully. But February, March, when the guys, uh, for the most part, aren't in the building unless they're here rehabbing. But last year, any time I came down here, Trey Hendrickson was here. I came down here, and it was either like a Monday or a Tuesday. It was right after Florida Atlantic, his alma mater, had played in the Elite Eight at Madison Square Garden. He was at the game. And the next day, he's down here working out. And I'm like, I just saw you on TV at Madison Square Garden yesterday. So his one-track mind obsession with being the best pass rusher that he can possibly be is truly incredible. If, if his wife's working... He's here, and and, and his wife's uh, is a pharmacist, and works, and so he's guess you know he just uh, buckles it up, comes down here, mm-hmm. waits for her to get home, 
leaves. You know, I mean, the guy's all the guy is all football, all the time. He's one of the more interesting guys you'll come across. You know, he's. Uh, I remember I talked to him. I did a conversation with him, and uh, Sam Hubbard said, "Oh, well, you guys are friends now, right?" And Hendrickson goes, eh, "I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know." I, yeah, I, I said, "I said, I think we are, but I think he's a little reluctant about it." But uh, no, he's a. He's a uh, he's he's a very uh, intriguing guy, interesting guy, smart guy, reflective, and uh, I'm glad we got him. So am I. How about your rookie of the year? Yeah, I think it's got to be uh, Jordan Battle. Mm-hmm. I think doesn't it have to be? I think he went from got a battlefield promotion from personal protector. He's having a pretty good run as a personal protector and an all special teams every man for Darren Simmons. And then when. Uh, um, Lou decided to uh, put him in the starting lineup. I thought he was really got better as he went. I think he kind of uh, uh, caught DJ Turner. I think DJ Turner. I think uh, uh, had a really good, you know, had a really good start uh, to what he was doing. I think he he might have hit a little bit of a wall, but I think DJ Turner had a very good rookie year too. When you take the big picture of it, I think he struggled a little bit at the at the end. But I think he's going to be. A, I think Turner's going to be a terrific player. I think he's going to be a very good corner in the league. And I think, like I said, I think Battle. Can give them a little bit of Von Bellian uh, knowledge and uh, stability back there. You know, the more experience he gets, I think he's a very mature, very mature player. I'm with you on Jordan Battle. So is Pro Football Focus. Among the Bengals' defensive players who had a legitimate number of snaps this year, he graded out number one, higher than Trey, higher than DJ Reader, higher than Mike Hilton, who all had very good years. That's pretty incredible. I know PFF isn't the be all end all. Uh, but it certainly looks like the Bengals struck it rich, considering he was a late third-round pick, 95th overall. I think they thought of him more like an early second-round kind of guy, and, and that's the way he played as a rookie. I'll throw in honorable mention honors to Andre Yosivash. Mm-hmm. The overall numbers aren't great, but he did have four touchdown catches. Mm-hmm. For an Ivy League guy who never took part in spring football because he was working on the pole vault and the, yeah. and the shot put, uh, Troy Walters is a tremendous wide receivers coach. I think with his training, Andre Yosivash is going to turn out to be a very productive NFL player. Yeah, I think he's more than a fourth receiver. I really do. I think he can be a, a – a, I'm not – I don't know what kind of a steady diet of, 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 of a third guy, but I think he, I think he can be a very uh, – I think, I think he can really contribute. I think he can catch, you know – 30, 40 balls a year, I would think, and particularly in the red zone. I think he's a weapon. Um, I think also too. I think I think Miles Murphy kind of, kind of for rookies, kind of snuck in there at the end, and he seemed to be improving mm-hmm. as, as he went, which I think which I think is encouraging, obviously, because you know I think he was he had trouble I think getting into a rhythm early, but he's a rookie. He's just he's just learning. I think he the more snaps he got, I think the better he got, and I think that's a good sign too. All right, let's do a couple of looking ahead topics. Joe Burrow did a news conference this week and made headlines with this statement, I expect T to be back. Is Joe Burrow right? He always is, right? I mean, I don't know. I, uh, uh, um, I, I, uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough call there. I, I know they want Higgins badly. I also know the numbers are daunting when you throw in Jamaat Chase and Burrow's. What Chase is going to get and what Burrow already is getting. Yeah. I think you know, but I you know uh, they also there's the option of the franchise tag. You have to look at that. Um, but like I said, Joe seems pretty confident. I, I you know uh, I, I I think T is uh, I think T likes it here. I think he wants to stay here. I I I, I think he, you know I I know that some might say, well, I want to get out from 
chase a shadow. Some might say that, but I don't get that. I don't get that vibe from T. I think he knows what he's got in Burrow. Burrow and he came in together. I think there's a certain chemistry there, a certain bond. I think he knows that Jamai makes him better, you know, and that he makes Jamai better. So, I don't know. I think, uh, I, I, you know, we'll see. Do they end up using the tag? Who knows? But people seem to be confident that he'll be back, and uh, I, you know, I got to take Burrow at his word. Uh, he certainly, I know that I don't know if he's coming back, but I certainly know this. He's been a huge piece of what has gone on here. I mean, he is a, uh, you know, like I keep saying, man, when he goes up for a ball, that's like a Bill Russell game seven rebound. He's coming down with it, you know, about as well as anybody's I've I've seen. And uh, so, I mean, he's just I always I'm always amazed. There's two guys I'm always amazed at when I look at when I, I'm around them all the time, but yet I'm always stunned when I see them up close. Burrow, he's always taller than I think he is, and then T is just a massive guy. Mm-hmm. And then you look at you turn and then you watch what he does on the tape, and wow, you know he is just a, he's he's quite a player. He's a monster. Joe said what he said. Then Zach Taylor said it's hard to imagine life without T. Yeah. I don't think they're going to have to imagine it this year. Yeah. I do think the franchise tag seems most likely. It would be 21.7 mil, which is obviously a lot of money. But the borough contract doesn't really hurt until the following year. Mm-hmm. It's structured in such a way that this coming year they'll still have some maneuverability. I think they can fit that in. Uh, Jamar Chase is probably going to be looking at more like $30 million a year, which is incredible for a wide receiver. But if anybody deserves it, he does. I think they keep the band together as long as they can under the cap. And to me, that feels like a franchise tag for T. But we'll see. They've got until March 5th to figure it out. Does Boyd come back? If Higgins comes back, does Tyler come back? Well, that's our next topic. All right, here we go. T is not the only prominent free agent. You also have, alphabetically, Chidabe Awuje, Tyler Boyd, DJ Reader, Jonah Williams. There are others, but we'll concentrate on those four. Rate in order of likelihood. Which guy will be back? Cheeto, Tyler, DJ, Jonah. Boy, that's a tough one. I Probably, I mean, DJ, maybe, because I don't know what his injury will do to his market value mm-hmm. or how other teams view him. I, you know, I'm selfishly, you'd love to have DJ back. You talked to him for, you know, one of your great podcasts, great interview with him about, and we've talked to people ad nauseum here about what he means to this team. There's no question about it. Coaches, players, you know, the outpouring when he get hurt. I mean, the guy, I mean, I mean, it looked like, a, I mean, his locker looked like a funeral home. With all the you know balloons and the, and the gifts and whatever, I know the social media content team was uh, they they had some nice cards and stuff for him because he's been so helpful. So I you know how does that play into it? You know, a right tackle trying to keep Jonah Williams around is a right tackle who, pro- who proved he can play right tackle. He can also play left tackle. Had a pretty good year. He's on the top hundred free agent lists. He might be tough to. To bring back when you're playing, you know, or when you're playing the le- when you're paying the left tackle as much as you are, um, and I, you know, uh, it's hard to pay corners. You got a Wuzie up, but Ochido is 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 uh, is coming off his own injuries, you know. So, does that how, what how are other teams going to view him? Um, that's a question. But 
I just think it's t- it's tough to keep these guys. I mean, it's just it's hard to uh, it's hard to imagine life without them. But that is life, you know. With uh, it's what happens when you do well and you get all these good mm-hmm. players, and you uh, you know, you just talked about T, Chase, and Burrow, right? Well, where do those other? I mean, it's going to be hard to fit in any of those guys, right? Here is my order of likelihood: most likely, DJ Reader. It's really unfortunate, but I do agree that the injury made it more likely. He turns thirty over the summer. The Bengals are historically hesitant to give long-term deals to guys in their thirties, and that's probably smart. But somebody would have, somebody out there would have given DJ Reader like a four-year deal or something like that. And he's a great player. I understand why another team might have done that. With the injury, that becomes less likely. He's probably looking at a shorter deal with incentives. And all things being equal, I think the Bengals become one of the better options for DJ Reader. He likes it here. He knows he'd have a chance to win a Super Bowl. They've already paid him $53 million bucks, so there's some loyalty there. So, again, I would put him at the top of the list for most likely. I guess number two, I would go Boyd. Having said that, I don't think it's likely. We saw on Monday, uh, the day after the final game of the year, he exchanged signed jerseys with Chase and Higgins. It was kind of a sad moment to see that happening. And even when Joe Burrow was asked about him, he didn't say, I expect Boyd back. You know, he kind of spoke about Boyd for all he's met with kind of a, a tone that he expects him to be gone. Now, maybe the market isn't as good for a nine-year vet who's going to be 30 next year as he hopes. And he that brings him back to Cincinnati. Obviously, if the Bengals could keep him at a, a reasonable price, I'm sure they would love to have him. Uh, so I'll put him number two on the list, but again, I don't think it's especially likely. In Awuja's case, because of the injury and he didn't have a great year this year, he's probably looking at something of a prove-it type deal for a year or two. I think under those circumstances, he's going to want to try to prove it at a place where he's pretty much guaranteed to start, and I don't think that'll be here. I think they're probably looking at Cam Taylor-Britt and D.J. Turner as the starting outside corners. They'd love to have Cheeto as a third guy. You need more than two. Yeah. Uh, but from his perspective, if it's going to be a prove-it contract, he's probably going to want to try to prove it where they say, oh, you are definitely going to be one of our starters. And then I would put Jonah in the fourth spot because I think he's positioned himself to be one of the top free agent tackles available. Pro Football Focus graded him number 63 out of 89, which had enough snaps to qualify, which, you know, doesn't sound very good. But I thought he was very solid this year. Uh, I think you can win with Jonah Williams at either left tackle or right tackle. The Bengals have. have Correct. Uh, But Pro Football Focus also does these contract, you know, predictions or whatever, what they think he's likely to get. They project four years, 64 mil. That's what the Bengals are paying Orlando Brown Jr., a four-time Pro Bowler who graded out much better, according to PFF, than Jonah did this year. So if that's the case, I think he's likely to get that that kind of deal somewhere else than Cincinnati. Yeah, you can't. I mean, I don't think you can pay two tackles. You can't pay two tackles at, particularly with your wide receivers. Right. On this organization, I don't think you can uh, with the likelihood that you're going to try to get a long-term deal done with one of the highest-paid wide receivers in the game. What is their number one priority in the offseason? Great question. Uh, I guess if we're talking players, are we talking players or if we're talking uh, fixes? Open-ended question. Yeah, yeah. I, I Probably, I think, 
get the defense fixed, and they have to figure out if that's personnel or scheme. Uh, and then I think uh, beyond that, I think it's uh, you know I think they got to shore up their cor- you know their cornerback depth. I think probably they could attack. They got to attack their defensive line depth a little bit. I mean, you know, we're talking about DJ. Uh, they don't have they don't have them under contract, so they have to. I think they have to attack that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some inside people, and uh, you know, I think uh, you might have to tackle the right. Ta- you know, uh, where do you get your right tackle? You know, we've just said that uh, we thought we don't think Jonah's coming back. So, you know, historically, you got to go get that guy early. You know, so I think probably if you're looking at positions, I think you know you're probably looking corner depth and. Nose tackle, three technique depth, and uh, probably um, tackle. The number one off-season priority is wristwatch. <laughs> Joe Burrow's wrist. Yeah, they yeah. got to make sure that they uh, do everything right in terms of getting him healthy and keeping him healthy until the start of the season. Wouldn't that be nice if he was able to not only <laughs> recover from wrist surgery but go through a normal training camp and and be able to play in the opener without having house, uh, house arrest. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, a second uh, off-season priority, in my opinion, is something that you brought up when you spoke with uh, Zach Taylor in uh, one of your conversations uh, that you had on Bengals.com, and that is getting off to a better start. It's mm-hmm. the one thing that has been pretty much lousy uh, in his five-year tenure, with the exception of the Super Bowl year, the first few weeks of the season, owing to his first year, owing to his second year, one and one his third year and three and one that year. That was the year they went to the Super Bowl. Oh and two in year four. They overcame it, got to the AFC championship game. Oh and two this year. That's one and nine in the first two weeks mm-hmm. of a five year stretch. And I was happy to hear him say when you talked to him mm-hmm. about it that they do need to really look hard at what they've done and try to determine what they can change to get off to a faster start. You know, it's a balance. That's why I got back to what we were saying. A balance. I mean, because he's very Zach is very aware, and I agree with him on this because the season is so long, and you know you've got to you can't you can't you can't run these guys hard in the spring and in in, in in training camp. You can't do it. They don't want to do it for mm-hmm. one thing. You know, it's a it's the 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 era of uh, the era of the uh, hard nosed you know training camps is in in, in regimens is is over because it's a and I, I think for a variety of reasons, the main thing is it's just too damn long to, to keep pounding these guys. So he's got to – but you also have to be ready. Right. Now, I would say there's a big caveat with what, what is that one – what did they have that one year in 2021? They had Joe Burrow who actually went through uh, – he didn't go through all of training camp because he was coming back from a rehab, but he mm-hmm. went through most of it. Right. And they were 3-1. and one. So if I'm Zach Taylor, you got to – you know, you got to say – you know, you got to balance it. They've been very good in November and December, right? Now they ran into obviously they ran into uh, problems this year, but they didn't have Burrow. But when they've had Burrow, they've been you know, I think before this November stretch they were like fourteen and they were like thirteen and four in November and December and January games, which says they're doing something right yeah. in getting ready for it. So you gotta do you panic and say, you know, do you panic and say and change it up? Uh, or do you step back and say, okay, we didn't have Burrow, but we do have to do a few things differently, and they will, and it's built in because it's not like the previous two years where they went so deep into February. Yeah. So I think you know Zach, Zach and Joey Bose, his strength coach, they got a real good handle on this on this stuff, 
and I'm pretty confident that they'll 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 figure out what they what they're doing. And the big thing to me is, you know, how do you keep Burrow healthy? What do you do? Do you give him maybe do you give him days off in training camp? I mean, what do you you know what do you do? Because I'm I'm all for that. You got to get to the gate. Marvin Lewis was good at getting these guys to the gate too, even though he you know if you compare the training camps, it'd be like the Marines and you know. But it's but it's a different era and it's a different game. But both Zach and Marvin were very good at getting their guys to the gate in their era of football. Right. They were both knew it was important, and uh, so I just think it's I think it's fascinating to look at to look at it because I think Zach's got a real good grip on it. And I think his record in the big games shows that proves that that he's getting them ready for the for the big ones. And you can argue, look, they had they were good enough in November, December this time. They didn't win enough games, but they had enough people with their backup quarterback to almost make it. I think all of that is true, and I am certainly not calling for the return of the Forrest Gregg era in terms right. of training. That's what camp. I told him. I said, I said, look, I'm not looking at you to go uh, with double sessions here morning and afternoon. A <laughs> <laughs> goal line drill on the first day of training camp. But I do think they've got to do something differently, and I, I don't even really specifically have an answer for what that something is. But there are a lot of smart people here, the coaching staff, Duke Tobin, Mike Brown's been in pro football for 60-plus years. They've got to have a meeting of the minds to say, all right, maybe we need to do this a little differently and this a little differently so that we can avoid losses that are just as costly in September as they are in October, November, December. At the end, it's how many you win and how many you lose. And if you're constantly starting 0-2, you put yourself in a hole that, yeah, maybe you recover and make it to the playoffs, but maybe that's the difference between being the number one seed and having a couple of home games as your path to go to New Orleans in the Super Bowl next year. The guy, Zach's philosophy that is uh, that is probably mirrors more than anybody is probably Paul Brown's. Paul Brown was, was kind of a, at the vanguard of this. He was seen as... As different because he kept he kept it light, he kept it brisk, he kept it short. He didn't want to get his guys beat up, and it's really kind of funny how it's kind of come full circle, and uh, you know what, what what Zach is doing. So I I think uh, Zach's kind of got history on his side because PB for the most part had some pretty good teams. People forget his last team he had here went eleven and three, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so I I uh, you know it's a famous story of. Uh, the uh, when Kenny Anderson, this was back in a whole different time of football when the starters played every preseason game, you know. But even in, back then in '78, I know there was some hoping when they went to the at halftime at the uh, last preseason game. Boy, I hope he maybe sits Kenny, you know. And uh, for the second half, and Kenny came out and played the first series and broke his hand on a helmet, and the season was lost. So, uh, like I say, Zach's got a uh, uh, Zach. Zach, Zach uh, Zach and PB are on the same page there. All right, final topic, and this is uh, one where it's great to have you on as a guest, the possibility of Willie Anderson being selected for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You've got a meeting coming up soon. What's the next step? I wish he just had a better presenter. He'd have a better shot. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I, 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 I think his chances get better every year. I think, I think he's an attractive candidate. I've heard that from a lot of uh, – this is his third trip to the finals. Mm-hmm. And I think Willie just more and more that we present his case, it just grows on people. You know, it's a uh, it's an indisputable case. You know, I, uh, hopefully going in there armed with some uh, pro football focus, not only pro football focus stats, but Mike Giddings, an old school uh, pro scout who many teams, including the Bengals, use. Um, so new school, old school stats, 
quotes from people like Bill Cowher and Ozzie Newsom, teams that had to play him twice a year in the division. Willie's case makes itself, you know, uh, so, and I think it's growing on people. Unfortunately, I think it takes time for it. Tony Baselli was in front of the committee six times. Mm. So, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, you know, uh, I think, um, you know, there's no, it's also probably, you know, not only is it, you know, there's only two Bengals in the hall, but there's only, I don't think there's been a right tackle elected to the, the hall in about 20 years. So, and uh, and I think that's part of the argument is, look, uh, uh, the left, you know, uh, the great pass rushers are now on either side of the ball. If you look at Willie, at one time or another, played uh, um, 10 of the top 12 sackers, you know, and at one time or the other. Now, as Willie evolved and the game evolved, a lot of guys switched sides, but a lot of guys who would have been, you know, the athleticism has moved. You didn't have just one athletic guy rushing the pass. You had two, three, and they were over both tackles. So that's part of it, and I think that's I think that's that's, that's something that's beginning to take hold. That uh, yeah, I mean, right tackles are tackles too. <laughs> How sophisticated are these presentations? Is there video? Do you have a like a folder? Or, you know, glossy pictures? How is that done? Yeah, it's just uh, there's there's no video. It's uh, I'll have a uh, brochure that I'll hand out to the folks, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's basically you know I'll I'll speak for uh, five minutes and is uh, that a limit? Five that's minutes. A, yeah, it's a five minute limit, yeah. and then you'll uh, you know and then you'll you know and others will speak for him. Others on the committee, he'll be discussed, he'll be debated. Then with the other fourteen modern era candidates, uh, each guy is uh, voted on. Uh, each guy has to get eighty percent of the vote. So. Um, will um, at the end if he makes it to the if he makes it to the end. So it's uh, you know it gets it goes from a cut it gets cut from fifteen to ten and then to five. So it's uh, it's always a, it, this is the first time we've met. It's the first time we've met in person since twenty nineteen. So uh, no, since twenty twenty, it's the first time since twenty twenty. So because uh, we met before the pandemic, but um, so it'll be it'll be. Uh, it's always interesting. It's a draining day. It's important. It's one of the, you know, it's a big responsibility to be entrusted with. It's important. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, they say it can change people's lives. So you take that responsibility, uh, you know, take that responsibility seriously. Willie's case is in great hands. You right. helped Ken Riley make it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know that Willie's going to uh, have his case presented beautifully next week. And uh, best of luck in helping to convince that uh, crew that he is uh, worthy of inclusion in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's very kind of you to say. I told Willie today, I said, it's going to be like when you met with Bratkowski and he told uh, you the Tuesday before you played Peppers, you're going to have to take him one-on-one. And Willie looked at eight, eight plays on the film and said, don't worry, Brat, I got it. So that's what I told Willie. That's, that's nice. what I told Willie today. Well, you're right. You do have it. You're going to be great. Uh, best of luck with that, and thanks so much for your time. It's always a pleasure. Hordy, I appreciate it. Best New Year to you and the family. I have to say hello to my family, Kerry Miller, uh, Kerry Hobson Miller, your biggest fan with Freddie Franchise <laughs> and Danny Miller, her husband. They love the podcast. Hi, guys. How you doing? That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. 
and by Kettering Health. The best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.